0: What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Off The Dome Radio. We have a fun one for you. It is jam-packed, nonstop. Today, we sit down with Dave Colt and Clay Robinson, and they are the co-founders and co-CEOs of Sun King Brewing Company. So if you're not familiar, Sun King is the largest brewing company here in Indianapolis, was founded in 2009, and has won 29 Great American Beer Festival Awards. So they know their shit. They are no slouch to when it comes to brewing. Uh, In this this interview, uh, Dave and Clay kind of just go through the whole story about how Sun King was created, you know, from its infancy, just a a thought of an idea to actually becoming a full-fledged brick and mortar uh, business. So we kick things off with Dave and Clay. They talk about their first kind of jobs in the beer industry, you know, what attracted them to it, we talk about how young uh, some of them really got their start with beer. You know, even <laughs> trying beer, you know, start them young, right? And uh, so they kind of take us through that progression, which is really cool to see uh, how they navigated their way through their jobs, what they liked, what they didn't like, and they go through how they first met while being in the industry, uh, each working for a different brewer here in the city, and how they kind of met, and then they go into. Detail about how they formed the idea for Sun King. You know, what are things that they liked throughout their time in the the brewing industry? What didn't they like? What would their perfect scenario really look like? They just kind of talk of how they, they really made things happen uh, with such a great uh, idea and having it really come to life. So, Tim, what did you think about our, our sit down here with Dave and Clay?
1: Yeah, I, I love the conversation with Dave and Clay. As, as they were telling the story, I was just in awe like how many small things needed to happen for them to to mm-hmm. finally form it and, and and go through that process it was just really cool to hear the story from themselves so yeah we we asked them and obviously before they started the business they'll get into this but they were they were co-workers and they both worked in the beer industry but they were also like friends so we we wanted to, to ask them how they've been able to bounce being friends and growing as business partners and kind of how they've been able to use uh different principles from each to, to benefit their friendship. So I thought that was good. And then um, I also want to know, like, the founding principles about their business. So, like, they describe how the things they, they really didn't like about working in the brewing industry played a large part in them forming Sun King. And I just want to know the specific things they took from that in growing the business. And I thought those lessons can be applied to any type of business. So I thought that that was, that was a great thing that they described there. Um, and then lastly, we, we want to ask them, like, how running this business has impacted their relationships with their family, uh, with life, and just how it's made them better people. Uh, and then obviously we like to ask our, our awesome question about how uh, they want to be remembered when it's all said and done. So I thought um, one, one of them had a, a very a long answer, a very well thought out answer, but the other one was also well thought out. But it was short and sweet, so I thought I thought it was very good to kind yeah, of hear what great. they had to say about that. And yeah, I think you guys are gonna be on the edge of your seat for a lot of this episode, and I think you're gonna love it. So, without further ado, episode 172: Dave Colt and Clay Robinson. <laughs>
0: So for our listeners, maybe that don't know you guys, I know anyone who's local, a little further outside of that, know of Sun King, uh, maybe we can just intro each of you and give us a quick background, who you are, and then kind of talk us how we got here. Hi, my uh, name is Dave
2: Cole. I'm a co-founder of Sun King Brewing Company. Um, and what are we, co-CEOs? Uh, CEOs, yeah. okay. The reason why we're co-CEOs is because neither one, <clears throat> neither one of us wanted the jobs, <laughs> we decided to yeah. split it. Um, I guess uh, I started uh, drinking beer way back when I was about five years old. Okay. I was hanging out at a family event, and all of these men had these cans of things, and they were enjoying the crap out of it. <laughs> Some magical thing happened on the television box, and they walked toward it, but left their cans of magical juice hanging out. So I went, hmm, what's this, what's this deliciousness all about? I right. took a sip, and I went, hmm, Yum. So, I'm one of the rare people like this guy, who, uh, and I'm pointing to my
3: co-partner and co-founder, Clay. Hey everybody, I'm Clay Robinson, uh, co-founder, co-CEO, co-owner, co-creator of Sun King Brewing Company in Indianapolis, Indiana. Uh, I fell in love with beer around the same age, probably about four, Start or five. On young. Years. Good for you guys. Uh, my grandpa uh, drank Michelob, so the like little stubby bottles with the gold foil on it. So it was Very the nice. gold awesome. foil is like, and he would he would sit it on the on the the table next to his chair, and I would get in trouble by my mom because I would like sneak around the chair and <laughs> sip on his beer. So, um, so I don't know why, but I loved it. And then obviously in college, I drank a lot of. of not so great beer cheap beer swilly beer whatever you could get 30 racks that were on sale, but I worked in a I worked in an English pub that had, you know, a dozen dozen beers on draft and then fifty or so uh, at the time, I believe we called them micro brews. micro mm. uh, brews from around. So I would just like I would get an opportunity to just drink these different beers and so like later in life when I discovered that beer was more than just that 30 mm. rack of fizzy yellow liquid. It was yeah. mind blowing. So yeah.
0: That's awesome. Yeah.
1: And how did you guys meet?
2: Oh you know, this just segues directly into uh-huh. okay, it. So yeah, nice. <laughs> uh He brought himself all the way up to college, and then after college I moved to, I went to Hanover College and he went to Wabash. I moved to Indianapolis and, you know, started my bartending career and, you know, just trying to figure out what next steps were and all that kind of good stuff. A uh, guy that was a general manager of the place that I was working at went to start up a brew pub and I went, damn, I've always liked beer ever since I was a little kid. So. I'd like to kind of go check that out, Um, and could you introduce me to who the brewer is? Because I've always, you know, been fascinated about how it's made. So, fast forward uh, about a year or so into that, I'm the assistant brewer there, and also, you know, doing some bartending and other things. And in walks this hippie mf'er with uh, (laughs) hair, you know, down his back and a beard down, you know, part way to his navel. So.
3: Yeah, uh, so when I got out of college, I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. I took my first job uh, washing dishes at Roscoe's Tacos on the south side in Greenwood, so um, and, and I ended up working there for a couple of years. His parents were really proud. Of they were very very, 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 very proud. Uh, for Give sure. you the whole, what we so, paid for college. You got yeah, a degree yeah, my, to do my, that my, whole bit. Yeah. I, my, I actually came home at one day, and at, at, after college, I, I had to save money. And I like for college, I asked for money from people. So mm-hmm. I went to Europe for a couple months and traveled. And then I came home. And when I, by the time I came home, I was broke, trying to figure out what I was going to do. And uh, I had gone to a show at the Vogue, and uh, with a hangover, went to grab some uh, burritos with some friends. And his first time I'd ever eaten at Roscoe's. I lived in Greenwood and there was a sign on the door that said, help wanted. And I was like, eh, looks like, and like the music was all like Grateful Dead, widespread panic fish. Okay, it was all hip yeah. music. And, uh, and I, was, <laughs> and I was like, that's pretty all right. And everybody working there was, uh, you know, was long haired as well. And I was like, uh, sign says you're hiring. Like, what do you pay? And Roscoe said, I don't know. What are you worth? And I said, well, I'm worth a lot, but I need a job. So <laughs> I filled out an application, and he's like, uh, yeah, well, you can start washing dishes next week. And I was like, okay, great. Like, I yeah. don't care. I just wanted a job. So I told my mom, and I was like, yeah, I got a job. My parents were like, really? Where? And I go, Roscoe's Tacos. And the joy went straight from her face. Uh, she was like,
0: what? That's, That's when you hit it with um, the employee discount number, though? Yeah, but
3: mom, look. Yeah, 50%. Uh-huh. You're yeah. yeah. saving a ton on <laughs> yeah. groceries. So. And I get a
0: shift meal.
2: Uh-huh. No, right. But yeah,
3: so so uh, they were kind of like, well, you just graduated from Wabash College and you took a job at Roscoe's Tacos. What are you going to be doing? And I was like, washing dishes. Yeah. And they're like, oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> yeah. no. Um, like, it's fine. Like, I need a job. I don't really care. I'm not too proud to do anything, which right. I think is it's a good work motto in general. Like, mm-hmm. so many people are like, I would never do that. Like if I had to, I'd go wash dishes tomorrow because yeah. that's what gets it done. When we opened our karma location, it was so busy the first like three days that all I did was wash pint glasses. Yeah, um, for, <laughs> so that, that we could keep serving on the going. job training at yes uh-huh, Yeah, is. yeah. Okay. That. But anyway, so I um, I love beer. The the job I had in college made me love craft beer, and I had some friends who you know had homebrewed and. Uh, I wanted to have decent beer. I would go to concerts. I drove an '85 Volkswagen camper van, and I'd go to shows at Deer Creek, and uh, I and I would have parties at my house, but. Whenever I would, I would want to take beer. So for parties, I found Circle V, and they were the only uh, brew pub in town that actually sold kegs. Because kegs are kind of a pain in the butt for small breweries because they cost a hundred some bucks just for the shell, and then you loan it out to somebody full of beer, and they don't really, they don't really care to bring it back for like six months or a yep. year. We've actually had kegs returned to us that people are like, "I've had this in my garage for seven years." They're like, <laughs> "We're oh, moving," yeah, and my uh-huh. wife is forcing me to bring it back to you. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <It's> just like <laughs> Thank you. covered in dust and dirt. So big receivables these. numbers. Pretty, pretty commonly, like, you know, kegs just go away and, and often don't come back. So a lot, particularly at the time, nobody sold kegs. So Circle V did. So I went in and I, uh, you know, I tried some beers and had a beer and filled out the paperwork and talked to the guy behind the bar who was the bar manager. That was, it was yeah. me. Yeah. That was Dave. And um, so anyway, I'd buy kegs for parties. And then I would also uh, take kegs in the back of my van to shows at Deer Creek. And I would then $5 pints out of my van in the parking lot. Uh, oh, that's cool. Bootlegging and beer yeah. to help pay for my rock and roll habit. I did that for a few years and then uh, in 1999 uh, I'd been at Roscoe's for a couple of years and I wasn't quite making enough money um, and I realized I wanted to do a little bit more so I decided I want to go back to waiting tables and uh, I tried to get jobs but every job interview I would have um, inevitably the manager of whatever restaurant it was would be like you seem really great, really like you, would love to hire you. Just got one problem, uh, we have a no facial hair policy, so if you want to work oh, here. Oh yeah, late 90s, uh, beards were not in vogue at mm. the time. Oh, not and, cool. Yeah. Um, they're like, we have a no facial hair policy, so you'd need to shave if you want to work here, and I would inevitably be like, yeah, thank you very much, I appreciate your time, but I'm not interested. And just straight walk out the door, so. <laughs> love um, it. yeah. So I was having trouble finding a second job waiting tables, and a friend of mine had a friend who worked at Rock Bottom and he had long hair and a beard, and uh, she said, hey, my friend Brian works at rock bottom, he's got long hair and a beard, so I know they hire hippies. So you should go work <laughs> there. So, so I did. So I, I edged my way in. I, I knew some folks who worked there. I went through all the interview process. I started working. I almost didn't get the job because for my first interview, they told me to go wait at the bar. And when I sat at the bar, the bartender asked if I wanted something, and I said, "Of course." And I ordered a pint of oatmeal stout. So um, I mean, like. What do you expect? Yeah. Exactly. At a bar you're
0: going to ask was, for a water? Come on. It was a brewery. It <laughs> yeah. was a brewery. Yeah. And
3: uh, anyway, the general manager is still a friend to this day and he owned McNiven's on Mass Ave and now owns one of the a spot down in uh, in in the garage food hall. But Stuart didn't want to hire me because I had the balls to order a beer. Actually, I think more the audacity to. And I ended up being their brewer. It all worked out. and Yeah. But, <laughs> but the first... The week that we did training at Rock Bottom, the guy who was the brewer, a guy named Tom, was kind of an interim brewer, and we did a brewery tour. And it was the first time in my life that I realized that brewing job was a thing that you could do. Like I knew beer was brewed, and I knew people home brewed, but like the actual ability to walk through a brewery, and I mean, I'd been to Circle V buying kegs. I knew they had a brewer, I knew it got done. I just didn't mm-hmm. realize. And so it was like this light bulb moment of like, oh, my God, like this is a job like somebody like I could do, like I could make beer for a living. So I started asking a lot of questions of the brewers after my shifts and just being really curious about it and a few months into it. Uh, Tom was getting transferred out and new guys coming in he's like hey new guys coming in me I'm going I'm going wherever Jackson the assistant's going to Colorado so there's going to be an opening coming up Bill will be here in a few weeks and I'd like to introduce you to him because you ask a lot of good questions you've got a really great work ethic and you got a good head on your shoulders and I think you'd be a great brewer and I'm like oh my god seriously What? wow like really and that was kind of the thing that like turned the corner for it and was like wow this is like this is a job that I could do totally that's
2: awesome So uh, Circle V, all of that happening, um, it eventually kind of wound down and and went out of business. So in the interim uh, between that and meeting back up with Clay, I worked for a beer distributor. So I kind of got some for about a year or so to get, you know, that other side of the fence and how it gets out there into the public and displays and all that kind of good stuff. So uh, there... There's a newspaper article about a new brew pub opening up downtown It's called Circle V, or not Circle V uh, The Ram, <clears throat> pardon me called The Ram and uh, I, you know called back then, you know, the internet wasn't such a big robust thing where you could get all kinds of good information so if you call the library, even to this day they will do research on your behalf hmm. and so I said, "Who, who is this company, where are they from is their phone numbers and they got me the phone number for the master brewer for this company and then i called the guy and he didn't return my call so the next day i called and he didn't return my call so the next day i called and he didn't return my call for two weeks kept calling every single day and finally uh the phone rings and he's like all right man i got it you want to interview for this job we're going to be in town next week here's the times that i'm available so i got the job that's awesome as the assistant brewer and uh Our good friend John, uh, later finding out, um, you know, well, this is
3: fast-forwarding slightly. So, So I was brewing at the Rock Bottom, a guy named Bill Smith, uh, who basically, like, when he got there, he grew up in Indianapolis, he went to North Central, he left Indy and went to Colorado, started brewing in Colorado at a little brew pub, and then ended up with the Rock Bottom Brewery in Denver. And basically, like, our first meeting for, for our job interview and hangout was like, well, Tom says you're a good guy and got a good head on your shoulders. Let's go have some beers and see if we get along. See, now um, that's an so interview. That was yeah. my interview. Yeah. So yeah. So it was great. So we we actually we went to the Broad Ripple Brew Pub and we played, uh, we we drank some beers and then we went somewhere else nearby and played pool. Um, and we spent an afternoon together. And uh, then we went by Great Fermentations and he bought me a couple of uh, like the joy of home brewing and a couple books. Um, when it was actually here on 82nd Street. And uh, yeah, and so we basically just spent an afternoon hanging out. He's like, Tom highly recommends you. I think we'd get along. Like, how about about you start next week? I'm like, great. So, um, you know, during this whole kind of time and conversation, he's like, look, I, I just moved in from Colorado. I took this job because... Um, it gave me an opportunity to run my own brewery, but I grew up here and I want to be West. So I have to be here for a year before I can transfer out. And if you can work as hard as you can learn as much as you can and bust your ass. When I get an opportunity to transfer out, I will recommend you for my job. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, well that sounds fantastic. So, um, so I was, I started working with Bill. We were, you know, I was trying to learn as much as I could reading every book or magazine, different things that, that I could and really immersing myself in it and, and fell completely in love with it. And, um, um, during that first year the Ram opened up down the street and uh, he said hey you know we should go uh, say hey to the new guys down the street because brewing in general very congenial industry I mean, cool. back in the late 90s I think that Dave and I there were probably 12 breweries in the state and we probably knew all 16 people that worked at all wow. breweries <laughs> yeah um, so not a lot of us and so we went down we to a couple of growlers they were under construction we kind of worked our way in and back to the brewery and there were a couple guys and we're like hey you know Bill and Clay for uh, from the rock bottom how's it going and we met john and dave and we're talking for a minute and we just kind of had that like that like i know you kind of feeling and mm-hmm. it's like Volkswagen van Circle V, like, oh hey man, how are you? Like (laughs) right on. (laughs) Yeah, we've known each other for a few years now. So that just kind of led to that easy, like, ah shit, man. We go we go way back and now we actually do the same job just like two blocks away from each other, and there were three brew pubs downtown, and again, we knew everybody at all three of those. And so we'd go to each other's beer tappings and pop to one another's place on a friday after work for beer or you know just kind of hang out and get to know each other started talking about life and music and all of the other various things that we had in common so we just became friends over that period of time um yeah, yeah.
0: that's awesome yeah so when you guys met then uh-huh. from there how did it transpire to hey we can do this a little differently, a little better. We can run our own shop. Took, that took years. That did take mm-hmm. years. Wow. So <laughs> while it feels like you know maybe we burst on
2: the scene in an overnight success, um, uh, yeah. Clay ended up becoming the head brewer. As as was you know, yeah. A little over a, a year
3: later, Bill got an opportunity to transfer to Seattle. I did my interview with the director of brewing operations, and he said, "You're totally underqualified," but uh, I. I I think you can do this job, so congratulations. Okay, great. (laughs) Love it when a plan comes together. That was a totally absurd plan. I went from never brewing a batch of beer in my life to running my own brewery in like 16 months. That's awesome. The guy that was
2: the head brewer at the Ram uh, was from uh,
3: Seattle and
2: he missed the mountains. So he actually talked to Clay, and Clay got him a job with Rock Bottom in Colorado yeah, okay. so he could see some mountains again, huh? which then allowed me to move up to be the head brewer at the yeah. Ram. Okay. So okay. that is the however, source of the conflict and yes. how we got together. Yeah, however,
3: a lot of what we have built and created at Sun King is a direct response to the other jobs and life experiences we've had that we did not enjoy. Huh. Um, okay. So, uh, uh, at Rock Bottom, they had a uh, they had a $1,000 bonus if you, as a manager, which brewers were considered managers. We went to management meetings. We trained staff. We were involved in all of the day-to-day operations of the business, and uh, they actually offered me a position in Colorado, and at the time, I was kind of struggling. I wasn't sure. I mean, I loved what I did. Uh, Rock Bottom, at the time, was kind of grooming. There were some corporate culture changes going on. They were grooming for what eventually became a sale to a private equity company, um, just general business stuff. My dad is an entrepreneur and he'll get involved in the story a little bit later. But um, I'd seen this type of thing growing up from companies. And so I wasn't super happy and I wasn't sure if I went to Colorado that I would still be happy even though I thought going to Colorado would be like the would, would be a great thing for me. My sister lives in Colorado. And I was like, okay, no, I'm not going to do it because I'm not really sure where I'm at with this right now. So I do know a really great brewer down the street who wants to move west. So I introduced John. I basically like, uh, much like when I, like Dave's been very good with me at different times. And like later when I I started working with him at the Ram, he kind of like basically just paved the way for me. So I paved the way for John to get this job at Rock Bottom, which he left, gave Dave an opportunity to move up. And I was like, oh, hey. Uh, there's a management signing bonus, so I just hired a manager for you guys, and so like thousand bucks, man. Where's my thousand bucks? And um, my GM's like, oh, that's a good point. I never thought about that. And like, it was for restaurant managers, which half the time the restaurant manager would be there for six months and move on to another job. Brewers tend to stay put for longer, especially in that era. Anyway, so I he's like, let me ask about it. So he runs it up the food chain of the middle management and other things, and comes back. He's like. Yeah, so brewers aren't technically considered managers and uh, you're not going to get your bonus. And I'm a principled individual in general. um, Right, right. And I literally... Do not cross this one. Yeah, I I learned spite from my mother. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Judy. Um, So, uh, but it was literally, I was like, You gotta be fucking kidding me. And he's like, no. And I'm like, how the fuck am I not a manager? I go to fucking management meetings every fucking Wednesday. Mm -hmm. You know, I train our staff. I do this. I'm responsible for an entire cost center that I have to keep in line. Like, I'm as much of a manager as anybody. And I gotta tell you, I think that's complete bullshit. And he's like, I get it. I'm really sorry. Like I'll see what I can do. I'll talk to some more people, see if there's any changes. And at that point in time, like that just shut me down. I was like, you know what? That's fucking bullshit. Like I went from like working from a company that while it was a bigger corporation, it was based in Colorado, I felt like they really cared about me to like, wow, really? Like a thousand bucks? What is a thousand dollars to you? Mm -hmm. Like a thousand dollars to me it... actually like 27 years old and you know it was a lot I'm like man it's a thousand dollars what can I do with that so anyway but more than anything it was the principal and I was like you know what Yeah. Ah, so it made me really upset and I've I mulled over it for a while and uh, and and I probably drank way too much and had a little bit too much fun and was like, what what am I doing here? Like These people don't care about me and I'm not sure what I'm even doing with my life. And so at 27 years old, I decided that I would quit my job um, and do whatever. I didn't know what it was. I basically actually, it was in the summer and I gave him six months notice and I was like, hey. So just so you know, end of the year comes. I'm leaving and I'm never coming back. They're like, you're giving us six months' notice. I'm like, I know it takes a long time. Like, there's not a lot of brewers. You got to find a replacement for me. I'll work mm-hmm. through the end of the year. I'm not like terribly upset. Like, I still enjoy my job. I just you violated my principles, and I can't in good conscience continue to work for you. It's like, man, really sorry. I'm like, no, no problem. Just like find somebody to. Come in. I'll help train them, and then I'll transition out. And so I did that, and they were working on finding somebody. And then the guy who denied my bonus came to town one day and I was like, "Hey, can we talk for a minute?" I'm like, "Yeah." He goes, "So we've been talking a lot about this situation." And, Over a thousand uh, bucks. Uh huh. Yeah. It's so, like <laughs> we've been talking a lot about the situation. And I just wanted to let you know that we're going to give you that bonus. And I was like, "Thanks a lot. That's great." He's like, "So are you willing to stay?" And I was like, "No, absolutely not. Yeah, <laughs> um, not not at all." He's like, "But you got your bonus." I'm like. Oh.
0: That wasn't the deal. No, you don't. You, you did don't, your part of the uh, deal for yeah, the bonus. You, you deal's don't,
3: over. Yeah, you, don't, you don't understand here. So anyway, I trained, uh, Who became a really good friend, Tim Marshall, mm-hmm. who's still a friend to this day to take over my gig. And I walked out the door at the end of the year. And uh, this was like 2003. And I was going to take six months off work. Um, and just kind of clear my head and figure out what was going on and what I might want to do with my life I love brewing but I didn't love the company I worked for I really wasn't sure I had to roll over a 401k that had a very robust matching program and I had very limited bills so I plugged a bunch of money into my retirement and that bunch of money was a giant pot of money mm-hmm. and I was 27 years old and I was like well yeah. I may never live to retire so <laughs> forget about a 401k I'm rolling you over into my checking account yeah and uh, and so basically six months turned into three Years. Okay. Um, I did some part time construction and remodeling and I uh, traveled around the country and slept on friends and family's couches and I read books and I spent a bunch of time in Colorado with my sister and I basically pretty much just fucked off and chased rock and roll music for three years and had a really fun time. Um, lo and behold, like it wasn't a very big 401k and it wasn't enough money to retire, so you know, I was i was kidding myself but lo and behold i woke up at uh, 30 years old and i was not only broke because i'd spent my entire 401k but i wasn't so great with money at the time and i racked up some credit card debt Mm. so i was in debt i was 30 years old um and i had no idea what i was going to do with my life and i was like oh fuck, yeah wow (laughs) maybe i made some poor life decisions uh and i was really trying to figure it out and uh ring ring the phone rang yeah
2: it was me Uh so i was actually calling clay the Ram was expanding and adding a satellite store that needed more brewery, more beer for, but not a brewery per se. So I was in need of somebody to help me out there. And so I called Clay up. He wasn't calling to ask me for a job, by the way. I was not. <laughs> I was not. I was calling for a friend, uh, Dustin Boyer, who actually uh, left us uh, and started Duke's Honky Tonk on the South Side, RIPD. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, I said, hey, can I have D's number?
3: I was like, why do you want T's number? And he was like, well, because... Dustin had been my assistant brewer and I trained him. He's like, Well, because D's a brewer and you know, I need somebody who knows how to operate a brewery. And I was like, I know how to operate a brewery. He's like, You I thought you quit, like, you're done. And I was like, Well, I was done, but I'm also broke and I need to figure out what to do with my life. So, <laughs> right. I think I was like, uh, So, and he's, and I, I was like, Plus, Dustin was actually opening a bar at the time, Spencer Stadium Tavern. I'm like, D's got a gig, he's opening a bar. It's something he's been wanting to do, it's a lifelong dream um, that he managed to do at least two different times in his life. Uh, and uh, so, I was like, he's got a gig. I need a gig. When can I come talk to you? And it was kind of, I think I went that same day. It's like, oh, you yeah. did
2: You did that evening because I had a tapping party. But I said, dude, you left a company that the culture way better than the D-bags that hmm. run this place here at the Rams. Hmm. So if you hated it there, you are not going to like it here.
3: And I literally was like, I don't fucking care, man. I need a job. I got to get my shit figured out. I got to get it back on track. And like, I love brewing and I miss that. And more than anything, I I need a job and I like you. So, and he's like, okay. So basically, like I said, he was like, okay, here's the deal. Here's who you're going to have to talk to. Here's what you're going to need to say. Um, He negotiated my salary. He basically like took care of everything. And then I had a few different meetings and was like, hello. Yes, of course. I knew all the corporate lingo. I smiled and I said all of the right things, and uh, that was uh, like December of two thousand and five. We mm-hmm. started working together at the Ram downtown, and uh, wow. yeah, and so
0: didn't have to shave for that one. No, no, okay,
3: they cool. didn't. Cool. Uh, they mm-hmm. didn't make me shave yeah. at all. So they West were the Coasters are pretty
0: tolerant
2: of mm-hmm.
3: you know. Got it. Things had changed a little bit. Beards are way in fashion now. Practically everyone in the room has. Yeah, it's beard. almost yeah. a requirement. Dave's to counterculture. <laughs> I am
2: counterculture and brewing. Got it. Clean shaving. <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: so yeah, but uh, it was, honestly, it was like a week or so in, at the end of our first or second week working together at the Ram, we were having a beer and started a conversation that was, what would you do if you could open your own brewery? Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd love to say that was it, but that led to basically what was a three-year conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and So it's kind of
2: odd because that three-year conversation, just those simple things like, what was your best job? What was the worst job that you had? Um, what would you do? All of these things. We weren't planning on setting out a game plan for a brewery. We were just having some casual conversation. But as the craft beer movement you know, started to happen, more so in, Indy, in Indiana and in Indianapolis in particular, um, people started coming at us with all of these fun ideas to go work for them and
3: open up a brewery for them. Yeah. So yeah, we we had been talking, and it really was. It was more of like, what drives you crazy? And I was full of a lot of corporate ire and angst and other things, and we just would talk about shit, bitch about things that, you know, working for a company out of Washington that would send down mandates that are like, you need to do this or make this style of beer. Like, nobody wants to drink that here. Or like in Washington, they had like late night things where like the bar would be busy and they'd have like club night and like, well, that doesn't work in Indianapolis, but you're (laughs) forcing our entire (laughs) establishment to play dance music and be open until 2 a.m. when there's no one here for it. So it's right. like, this. all this is kind of silly. So um, we both got approached by people who had money and thought that breweries were cool and would want to open a brewery. Um, but what we realized through those conversations was that the people with money didn't know anything about opening a brewery and that we knew exactly how to open a brewery. So they couldn't do it without us. But none of them were like, oh, yeah, we'll give you equity or anything. They're just like hey, I want to do this thing. I'll put in some money. You be the brewer. And, you know, we realized that five years from now, we'd be in the same position doing something that we love, potentially for somebody that we maybe didn't get along with or see eye to eye. And that's when it was like, well... We see eye to eye. This is probably about two years into the conversation. It's like, well, we see eye to eye. We get along really well. We've known each other for a really long time and we're good friends and we work well together. Like we know how to operate a brewery. Why wouldn't we come up with our plan? Wait a second. We've been coming up with our plan. Why wouldn't we come up with our plan and then find somebody with money? And it's like, oh, yeah, there we go. So uh, we kind of flipped what people were coming at us with and decided to do our own thing, mm-hmm. which originally, because we had come up in brew pubs, and honestly, in the late 90s and early 2000s, the only thing Indiana had were brew pubs. There were probably. 17 18 maybe 20 mm. breweries in the state every single one of mm. them was a brew pub um there was there's some people who packaged and distributed beer in bottles or kegs but everybody had a brew pub and so we were kind of planning that and we had a chef friend and a restaurant operations friend that we were working through menus and we were going to do seasonal beer with seasonal food and we spent a full year meeting every sunday for like three hours and we would talk about spaces we were looking in fountain square and massav and broad ripple and Carmel and like Fountain Square hadn't come along and Mass Ave was already priced out and same with Broad Ripple and Carmel wasn't what it is today but still was pretty pricey and like nothing was working and opened a restaurant cost a lot of money and opened a brewery costs a lot of money so we just, it was like banging our heads against a wall.
2: And then one day,
3: Clay says, what if we just make beer? Um, come out of one of our meetings, we had some menu tastings so we were just getting nowhere. Like We couldn't even figure out a corporate structure and the four of us just, we got a long break, but we just couldn't get it together and I was like, we just make beer and it's like do you think that would work and i'm like man I, i've traveled a lot and like there's all like look at all these different cities and think about this brewery and this brewery and like there's these things happening in other cities and there's breweries that are just breweries and they sell beer to the people of their city like mm-hmm. you know and then it's like look around indianapolis we have we don't have there's not no one's doing that. Yeah. Um, so I went home. Uh, I, I, I'm famously bad with uh, with math. Sometimes I'm really bad. Other times I'm really bad, but uh, I was doing all the Excel spreadsheets for the company at the time. I'm also really bad at that too. But I, I worked through it all, but I was doing spreadsheets and, and just simple stuff to run numbers. And I went home and I pulled out all of the servers and all the kitchen staff. And, you know, from working in restaurants, we'd had some spreadsheets that you're like, okay, let's adapt these couple of things and work out some costs. And I took out all of the restaurant-related Costs and basically left in two guys who knew how to make beer and love to do what they do, put together a brewery. Uh, tap rooms had recently become legal in Indiana. Like you could actually have a brewery and have a tap room and have people in for samples and sell direct to them. That was illegal for a long period of time, but that had recently been something that's like, okay, that can happen. And it's like, okay, look at all this. And I went back and I'm like, okay, you, you take out all this, the numbers are completely different, but like we can make this work. And um, so that was kind of the thing that's like, okay. At that point, it was like the, the the brakes broke off the train and it was headed downhill That'd real fast, point. straight to hell. That'd You're know. like, okay, there's yep. no stopping this motherfucker. Um, so yeah, so we had, we had all these ideas, and at that point, we're like, okay, now we start really planning and talking, and we were working together at the Ram. We had to work, our, our salaries were based on 50 hours a week, and then once a month, we had a walk through from a regional manager who would come in and make sure that all of our copper was perfectly polished, and mm-hmm. like every single inch of the place was clean, uh, which is great, because cleaning is very important in, in brewing, uh, copper sure. polishing, not life very important in, general. in brewing. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> life in general. It's a good, cleanliness is a, is a good thing, but um, we'd have to shut the brewery down for like two days at a time and polish every an inch of copper once a month um, from top to bottom. And that would be really frustrating, which to this day, we don't have any copper in any of our breweries. Not right, we breweries. do have in our distillery we have copper, but we, but sure we, don't, is, polish we sure okay. don't polish Hell it. sure don't polish it. Hell no. Uh-huh. Yeah, so like anyone listening tina. wants to start a brewery, um, you know, we're nope. gonna polish some some nope. big pieces. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, some people do, some people don't. I worked at yeah. Rock Bottom and had copper on my tanks for years, and Rock Bottom didn't make you polish copper; it hmm. just patinated. Metal, metal looks good when it's like that. Stainless steel shines up nice, but copper's a bitch. Okay. Anyway, so we'd be polishing that stuff, and you're just kind of like, oh dear, man! And so we were grinding through all of these ideas, but we were working day to day, and we, you know, we couldn't make beers that we were going to make for ourselves because we had a, you know, people always like, oh, did you, like, come up with your recipes while working for the Ram? Like, no, because we had a contract that said anything we made we would actually have to that would become property of the Ram. Right. What, really? So, that the last year of working together (laughs) was the best, most fun because we would, we would lose our names and our recipes if we made beers for them. So, whenever we came up with something, we had to come up with an idea that was good enough to, like, pass through the corporate structure and be a decent idea and a name that was good enough to not seem like we weren't trying but wasn't yeah. good enough to be something that we would want to take with us yeah, yeah
2: totally if we came up with a good name we'd be like nope pocket put in the bank uh-huh. yep yeah. love it yeah uh, yep. what's yep. just below this what's off brand yeah <laughs> uh, yeah yeah Kroger just, brand uh-huh right
3: we're gonna we're gonna take it down a notch so um but yeah so once we kind of decided that we were gonna that we were gonna do the brewery aspect um my then girlfriend, now wife, um, who I worked with at the Ram, who actually thought I was a drunken jackass. But thanks to Dave Colt, he talked her into realizing that I had finer qualities in life and wow. I was a worthwhile yeah. individual. So world's best wingman right over here. and uh, <laughs> yeah. so Goose so, lives, so, lives on. Yeah. Goose, Goose uh, lives on. So Staria was graduating from uh, grad school uh, in public health and she was from Alaska and she wanted to go home for the summer. And uh, we were on our way to a concert in Cincinnati and she's like, you know what? I really want to go home for the summer and like work on fishing boats and be with my family my brother and sister are going to be there and blah blah, blah. and I was like uh yeah that sounds amazing and I'm like but I'm working on this brewery idea like I don't know and then we just kind of talked and I was like okay what if I quit my job and go to Alaska with you for the summer and then come home and like my full-time thing is to make this brewery work and if mm-hmm. it works it works and if it doesn't we figure out what else we do with our life and so I was like okay let's do that so So that became the plan. So, you know, I told Dave and he's like, what? But we're working on this thing. I'm like, I know, but I'm never going to write this fucking business plan if we're stuck in here 50 hours a week. I'm tired. I'm angry. I really got to. I mean, he knows me well enough to know that every once in a while I just got to fucking get away. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I'm, I'm a I'm a go-to-the-wilderness-and-be-around-nobody kind of person. Okay. Um, gotcha. Got to recharge you know, I, I batteries. I pilgrimages. So. Yeah. so anyway, so yeah, that's I went. Dave actually stayed behind. We couldn't tell anyone we were opening a brewery. Um, I didn't want to tell anyone we were opening a brewery until it was a reality because I'd known enough people in life who were like, hey, I'm going to do this thing. And like a year later, like, how's that thing? They're like, still working on it.
0: When people so, ruin your shit, too. Yeah. They get their opinions and then mm-hmm. they plant seeds in your mind. And it's like, yeah. you know, we're always working on something and you don't give away everything because people ruin shit. Yeah. no. That's they a, do. They, they yeah. really
3: do. So, I mean, we had our idea. We knew we were solid. We found a guy actually to replace me that had been brewing down the street at Rock Bottom who was a good friend and actually who was good enough that we knew that if Dave worked with him for the next year that he could replace him. So, like, we were conscientious employees of, mm-hmm. like, okay, well, let's find ways to replace ourselves so we don't leave our employer in alert. So Let's work on this secret plan over here. And um, so, yeah, so then I went to Alaska for a few months, helped my parents or my in-laws remodel their house. came back and when i came back i didn't tell anyone i was home and i basically stayed at home i locked myself in the house i wore pajamas and like all day i would be like oh wow you're still in your pajamas i'm like yeah but i'm working on this spreadsheet and i'm doing these things and i'm writing the business plan and on thursdays i'd go visit dave and have some beers and talk about where we were at with various things and so wrote the business plan and try to put down the ideas that we had onto paper and refine the budgets at that point in time uh, I pulled out my dad who was 70 at the time um, who was an entrepreneur had Probably in his lifetime has started over 100 businesses. Out of them, maybe 10 of them were successful. Two or three of them were really successful. Um, And a lot of them failed. You learn a lot from failure, it Mm. turns out. Um, But uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, you do. A lot of people like... I think it's a societal issue because everybody's so afraid to fail or doesn't want to do things. And people get so upset when they... Fail, but if you actually, you know, I, I wrote six business plans before I wrote the Sun King business plan, and none of them ever made it anywhere. And I would show them to people who were mentors, and they'd kick the shit out of them. And I would leave the meetings feeling really disgruntled. But by the time I got to the Sun King business plan, I mean, the business plan that we put together was bare bones, brass tacks, two guys love a thing we're going to do this thing it wasn't like I used to write business plans you come up with great ideas and you're like oh my god and then we're going to do this and and it's all blue sky and so we really just pulled all of that stuff back so I was having my dad just look over the business plans and give us notes and kind of kind of work on that but the summer before all of this was happening they were traveling in washington and oregon because my parents had retired and were traveling in a motor home. And my dad had called me and be like oh my god you i'm in washington and you'd never believe this place or i'm in oregon and i'm at rogue and this is amazing so he saw what craft beer could be and it wasn't happening here and dave and i knew enough to know that we knew a lot about beer but didn't know shit about business so mm-hmm. very true statement yeah mm-hmm. so he was you know uh, Clay's father Omar
2: is an excellent mentor on that front. Gave us a crash course in being mm-hmm. an entrepreneur. Um, we were great at the nuts and bolts of production and you know streamlining that you know quasi engineering on that front. Um, so that was absolutely fantastic. So now, okay, great, we've got a president uh, kind of on board to to shepherd this along. So now we're ready to shop this plan mm-hmm. and so. Uh, the Circle V place that I worked at, a friend of mine named Andy um, owned his own engineering business and a uh, smart guy. Um, he sold that off to his biggest company or customer mm-hmm. and uh, also oddly won the lottery sometime in oh, that wow. point. But okay. that was back when the Hoosier lottery was like, you know, hey, you won a million dollars versus uh, like 360 you know, <laughs> yeah. mega yes. whatever, power mega ball stuff so um i said hey you guys should probably take this business idea and let's let's pitch andy he's gotten a lot of these things and he's going to poke all the holes in it that we need to so we can really just kind of fine tune this for the next pitch for you know getting it ready for whomever is going to be in the
3: game on that front yeah so we we thought that finding the money would be difficult we'd really i finished the business plan maybe in october of 2008 and uh um Uh, on this one weekend Dave went off to the Great American Beer Festival courtesy of the Ram because the prior year he'd won a medal at the GABF for a Doppelbach that he'd aged in a bourbon barrel Mm -hmm. yep and uh, so he got a free trip to the GABF um, which is you know if you're not familiar with it out there the Great American Beer Festival is the country's largest single largest beer festival it's the like most prominent festival. Thousands of breweries enter thousands of beers and they get peer peer judged blindly so cool. and it's like whoever makes the best of the best. So winning a medal there is kind of like it's it's the pinnacle of, of most people's it's career. It's the Super Bowl. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Um, right on. So yeah. So um, Dave went out for that and Omar and I went to a meeting with Andy at the Ram on the north side because Andy had kind of stayed in touch with Dave and with Dave Brew in there. He would come in for tappings and I'd bet him a few times and we'd just kind of shared the idea that we were working on with him a little bit. And so we sat down to go over this whole business plan with him and just talk through it. And his wife, Anna joined us and we we're going over all this and talking. And, uh, he asked a lot of good questions at the time. There was a hop shortage going on due to some, uh, due to a fire at a warehouse in Yakima and some other, uh, issues with weather and crops. And so he's like, wow, this is an NPR. There's a hop shortage. What do you got for that? And the year that I'd been gone or the time that I'd been gone to write the business plan and Dave had stayed behind, he'd worked with, uh, our, providers to actually um, we had some friends in the industry and it's like hey we're doing this secret thing like we need to have hop contracts we need to have access to raw materials and all these things so he'd lined up hop contracts and it's like well i'm glad you asked about uh, the worldwide global hop shortage yeah. <laughs> because if you'll turn to uh you know the back of the right side of your folder you'll see hop contracts for the next five years from uh bruce supply group and it's like whoa man you guys are really on your shit and so he asked a lot of different questions and uh you know he was kind of like, okay. It's like, so you're gonna do this like you guys don't know shit about business. Like, what's your involvement, Omar? And my dad's like, Yeah, they're gonna do it. Like I'm in for at least the first five years. I'm gonna leave my motor home and park my motor home and come back to India and you know, like I'm in. I wanna make these guys successful. I'm gonna be a mentor, I'm gonna be involved. And, you know, we were talking and Andy's like, All right, we're in. It's like okay you're in that's awesome that's great <laughs> yeah that's great you're in okay super cool so you're just kind of like all right that's fantastic and like you're in all right you're in great okay so we kind of wrapped up and got out to the car and I looked at my dad and I was like did we just get funded and he goes I don't know. I think so. But I really didn't want to press too hard. That meeting went really, really well. He's like, I'll call Andy tomorrow and we'll catch back up on some things and I'll see like what level he's in. Yeah. You know, I know we've at least got an investor. I'm like, okay, well, we'll just we'll take the win and uh, leave. So Dave's out in Colorado. He calls the next day because lo and behold, at the Great American Festival, Bear Festival, we won. Two medals, a gold and a silver in the same category. That's awesome. Oh, wow.
2: Okay. We only got to send two beers in. So,
0: perfect
3: timing. Yeah, so Omar got to call to check in on Andy and say, hey, uh, have you heard from Dave? Oh, yeah, by the way, he was out at the Great American Beer Festival and uh, two of the beers that uh, Clay and Dave. Brewed for the Ram One, gold and silver in the barrel aged beer category. Yeah. So, how much are you in for again? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, right, right. Store. <laughs> yeah. So, and Andy's like, no, actually, like we're we're 100%, we're a hundred percent, and that's great, fucking news. Like, that's really exciting. Oh, that's sweet. And he's like, I've got some family and friends, and you know. he went to Rose Holman he's an engineer got some engineering buddies like I'd like to spread the risk among an investment group but uh, you know we were raising a half a million dollars so it's like that's what we basically started at Sun King with $508,000 and that's um, awesome and it was like okay well great so all of a sudden we were funded with like one lunch meeting and then we're like oh shit like this is this is real yeah (laughs) really really real so right and
0: when you're uh, shopping for funds like that and I know you you've known Andy but how did you guys approach those conversations, relationships, to make sure the money didn't change the culture you guys were chasing? Because you guys had poor experiences elsewhere. Yeah. How do you make well, sure that doesn't so affect that, what you're... That was actually
3: a large part of why I pulled my dad into it, was to protect our collective asses. Okay. Um, so at this point, Dave Colt, I mean, he's my brother uh, in many ways, but he's pretty much been adopted by my dad. I think my dad actually calls mm-hmm. Dave slightly more than he calls me for business <laughs> these days because I've been trying to, as my dad retired, re-establish a more dad father-son and all the business is always a little bit a part of it. But um, I wanted my dad involved because uh, honestly, I mean, Dave and I both know well, I would say dozens of people who were in our situation who um, helped someone open a brewery and they were lucky to get 5% mm-hmm. as far as equity goes. And so bringing my dad along was very much a a, a move of like, all right, so Andy's group was the major investor. Omar put in some actual money, but he also got sweat equity. We got sweat equity um, and it was really a thing where it's like, okay, So he helped devise the overall structure. So the initial, we have one other partner, Steve, who is an attorney um, who loved our beers and would come get kegs filled once a month. And so actually he was the first guy we pulled in because we're like, we're going to start a business. We need an attorney. Steve's an attorney. He's a business Uh attorney. He's a business attorney. And loves your beer. Uh (laughs) So we pulled Steve back one one day we're like, hey, we're going to start a brewery. Would you maybe be our attorney? We'll give you a couple points of equity and uh, you can maybe do our legal work, make sure our contracts look good. and be a part of a brewing team? And he's like, okay. and I get, uh, I get to be, I get to own a brewery and there's probably free beer involved? Like, absolutely. <laughs> okay, great. And, I mean, uh, yep, so Steve's our partner. Had me downstairs. a beer. But, but so basically Omar kind of devised this structure and there was a lot of back and forth because uh, Andy's a very nice guy and he's a good man of the people, but he was also putting up most of the money and had this like, well, we're putting up most of the money, so how does this power structure lay out? And Omar devised this power structure essentially where uh, Omar and Andy's investment group were roughly equal but owned slightly less than 50%. Dave and I were exactly equal and each owned like 23.5%. So the money... Nor the like intellectual property and the like idea prowess, and all. I was like, look, without these guys, we don't have a business, and you know they deserve to have a a, a serious chunk of this mm. because without them, we've got nothing. I appreciate that you have the money, but
2: yeah, so the money guys needed one of, would need one of us to vote in something, mm-hmm. and vice versa, we'd have to have one of the money guys okay. so that we could. you know
3: yeah basically i mean it was a really perfect division of going in i mean going into business with somebody is tough you got to grind through a lot of things i mean once you're we're practically married at this point (laughs) in time um actually i mean we have contracts and all of these other various things so um but businesses can get tense so it was basically designed so there were four of us who owned and operated sun king and it needed three of the four of us to make any like major decision around it and i can tell you that Every single one of us lost at something somewhere Mm -hmm. along the way, but we would grind through it to a consensus. And very rarely, like we never actually even called votes on anything because we just get get to a point. And like sometimes there'd be something that Dave or myself didn't think was a great idea. And so, you know, you, you would have to work through it till we got to a point that worked and, you know, so... So it made for a really nice kind of balance. And I think the other great thing is, you know, and that's one of the reasons that neither one of us wanted to start a brewery with somebody that we hardly knew that had money is that we'd known each other for a long time. He and Andy had known each other for a long time. My dad and I had known each other my whole life. And so there was kind of this really easy familial like trust level amongst us and like Andy's Closeness with Dave and vice versa, all around, left us in this position where nobody's trying to fuck anybody, and yeah. we're all really just trying to do the best thing for mm-hmm. the business. Um, yeah. So we, I think, we're really fortunate in that respect. Yeah. So, yeah.
0: and I know Tim and I have kind of, you know, had our own way of handling being in business with a friend. So you all really knew each other very well. How did you separate business friendship? I know you had to have three out of four to do things but how did you make sure like hey like we are friends first how do we not fuck that up by now doing business or, you, or was that never really concerned um i mean you know
2: you do hear about all of these horror stories of friendships marriages all kinds of things breaking up dissolving the all the folks that uh started circle v none of them are really friends with each other and none of the you know um uh, couples are still married, so it can go sideways in a pretty big hurry. Um, I don't know. I think the fact that we're all grinders and we don't give up and you know work hard-working ethical people that it just kind of works out. So, cool
3: yeah i don't know. and, and there've definitely been points in time i mean i can think back to a few years ago there was a period of time like as we grew like we'd spend less time together and right? i remember having a conversation with dave like we hadn't been hanging out as much because we were just going in different directions with various different things and i remember a conversation several years ago it's like our friendship is kind of fallen by the wayside cuz it's all just fucking business and then yeah. you know we also then it's like okay cool we need to make time to do things and you know we'd go to conferences and other things but you know whether it's Just like having beers after work, and then making sure to ditch from everybody else and go have dinner and talk about other things. And um... yeah, I would roll
2: forward to um, you know the pandemic giveth and it taketh away. But what it did give when you're kind of siloed in that way is the opportunity for us to you know we're not going to con uh, not concerts we're not going to concerts but not going to conferences either. And so we would um, go. All right, cool. Um, Let's just go have a walking meeting, get some steps in, some fresh air, clear, you know, get away from the doom and gloom of what's going on and talk about what our future is and sort of uh, get back to
3: what we did to Mm -hmm. get us started. Mm -hmm. And you intermix a little bit of life. Obviously life's changed a lot. Dave's got kids. I've got a kid, people grow and all of these things. So, you know, understanding other people's life situations and sharing elements of that as friends and then understanding the, the, the heavy, kind of entwined that we are for a lot of our period at Sun King like Dave runs liquids Um, I'm a professional brewer by trade but years ago I gave up brewing and I have a degree in rhetoric and I was really interested in marketing and PR and so I ran forward with that and Omar did business and Andy's an engineer and honestly for the first probably five to seven years we were all kind of in silos just running forward Mm. and we would have these brief meetings where we talk about these different things and then my dad retired maybe five years ago and that put us in a different position to start running the company and then again eventually we just stepped up to to ceo it together and so we started working closer together at that point but then when when march 14th or whatever of 2020 hit like. Every day past that, like every day in 2020, we were in there every day, grinding it out, doing the things that we needed to do, figuring out the different pivots. We're in a highly regulated industry. You know, can people come in? Can't they come in? What do we have to do? How do we keep our staff safety safe? How do we do this? How do we deal with all this? So it was just so many different problems. Um, and so like problem opportunities (laughs) because problems lead to opportunity. Yeah, Yeah, I like that. Um, But yeah, so we started really grinding through that and like they said, we take walks and we do stuff and I mean, it's just like hours and hours of it, like of constant conversation and so while it was a really tough year, I think it also brought us back together and it's one of those things like when you're fighting to save your company's life, Mm -hmm. you're like, okay man, we're in this, what do we got to do? How do we do this? What do we think? How do we think? And I mean, Dave was the first one to like six months ago or whenever. Some point in time after being in that for so long to like help try to pull my head out of my ass and be like, just like, hey, okay. Like things are changing. This is gonna end or transition into whatever the next phase is. And we gotta get out of this like fight or flight mode and start getting back to like the creative people that we are and how do we express ourselves and how do we move forward and how do we do all these things. Yeah, during any
2: great recession, or anything there is opportunity in that especially coming out of it and so I wanted to make sure that we both had our heads screwed on straight to be able to capitalize on any opportunities that were out there coming our way
0: yeah. what, what is something that you guys saw as an opportunity from last year moving forward you know what what did you uh, kind of step on
2: well we you know we got a lot leaner and more purposeful about how we were doing things uh, streamlining uh, some stuff along the way um, we knew that, um, they were going to be, you know, we've got a, God, it's so close to being able to announce, right. but we can't yeah. really. We'll get some new things on the
3: horizon. If we're like one yeah,
0: or two weeks things. out, we can say uh-huh. it cause then we'll wait to release, but yeah, we're not going to put you in a bad spot. I yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so close. So there. So close. Yeah. So there are some, uh,
2: some great opportunities that we, you know, grabbed a hold of, um, Strategic partnerships, um, you know, doubling down with local on that front as well, mm-hmm. and uh, we did have one cool, fun thing with uh, Park One Hundred yeah. out of Kokomo.
3: Yeah, no, a Tipton. Tipton, yes. yes. But yeah, it's a local local food producer, but they make uh, they make cheeses and uh, sauces and soups for uh, for for corporate restaurant groups across the country. So we'd been working on a project that actually hit in 2020 and saved our ass. Um, And we were unable to talk about it because of an NDA until the folks decided like, hey, it's pretty cool that Sun King makes the beer for the cheese that we're doing. So we, uh, we ended up landing a contract to provide beer for a beer cheese on a Wendy's uh burgers uh, pretzel pub bacon (laughs) cheeseburger that they launched like uh, it was supposed to go early 2020 ended up launching in the fall um but um it takes a lot of beer to make beer cheese for uh nationwide fast food chains so um so that was actually a fun one that like you know you're in the middle of this pandemic grinding to try to figure it out because you know with bars and restaurants closed 45% of all the beer that we send out the door goes to bars and restaurants. So in one fell swoop, we lost 45% of our sales. And then our tap rooms... Plus our tap rooms. Plus our tap rooms are another 10% of our sales and a big percentage of our revenue. So overnight, we lost 50% of our revenue. Um, And so, you know, you're just sitting in that space where you're like... Holy shit. you know I mean, I remember losing sleep and talking to my wife. I'm like, oh my God, I'm like we have worked so hard over the last decade of our lives to get this whole thing done. And I mean mm-hmm. we started talking about Sun King and creating Sun King in 2005. So for 15 years we've been grinding on this thing and overnight we lost half our revenue and it may not be a thing that is anymore yes. right.
2: But you know one of our motto is um, you know losing or, or no is not an option. So what do we have to do and how do we pivot? Mm-hmm and what are the next steps Mm
3: -hmm. yeah so yeah so we did that i mean one of the cool things that came out of it uh, again uh, doubling down on the local uh the folks at west fork whiskey became really good friends kind of leading into that and we have a distillery at our our location in carmel but we designed it to be the opposite of actual sun king brewery so like we started our brewery as a small brewery and we really wanted to make and distribute beer in and around indianapolis we hit it at the right time. People were really excited about our beer. We were able to grow and expand and sell beer you know, throughout the entire state of Indiana. And it's led to you know, our five-year goal was to sell 5,000 barrels of beer in one year. Uh, or in, in one year but that would be year five so we started in 09 so by 2014 we wanted to sell 5,000 barrels of beer in 2010 we sold 5,000 barrels oh of beer. wow <laughs> and in 2011 we sold 10,000 barrels of beer and in 2012 yeah. we sold 15,000 barrels of beer and then like 18 and 21 and you know we would do about 30 35,000 barrels this year um, which is really big by you know by indiana standards but not so big when you look at like a lot of really larger breweries uh, out there like your bells and your hey Sierras we're top 200 yes we are we're in top 100 actually I think so but we we've we've grown really rapidly and yep. uh, mm-hmm. and 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 done really well and people have res what we do resonates with people so we're really grateful that like people like what we do they like our beers and and enjoy them but like with the distillery it was kind of a passion project for Dave I don't drink spirits I drink everything at the <clears throat> same rate of speed whether it's water water coffee beer or liquor so I'm not a, <laughs> I don't allow myself around liquor um, because it's it's not uh, it's not good for anyone. So, um, but we designed the distillery, the distillery with a really small footprint that fits in that building. It can really just make enough spirits to support Sun King's operations. And so yeah. we also didn't want to make vodka.
2: Yeah, we – we uh, well, Clay just described
0: perfectly an alcoholist, somebody who specializes. Uh-huh. Um, oh, that's bullshit. Our GoPro. So it's plugged in to charge right now, but it's already shutting down. Wow. Oh. And it's plugged in and charging. So I have a lot of gripes with yeah. GoPro, and they're gonna they're maybe gonna hear about it. it. Maybe they won't see my complaint, but I'm like, you guys are really ruining my show right now. I mean, yeah. I'm like that just yeah. happened, and we're still go. You're <laughs> killing me, Smalls. Yeah, seriously.
1: <laughs> how can I have more of nothing? More <laughs> of nothing.
2: Yeah. So um, how the distillery came about? I was uh, chatting with uh, Clay and Omar even before we had a name or funding, and I said, hey, if we do this right, um, you know, maybe we could, you know, spin off a little distillery. And Clay's dad said. Dave, what the fuck do we know about making spirits? And I said, well, um, everything in the spirit world is born out of fermentation. So you're either fermenting grain or you're fermenting fruit, and then you're distilling down that alcohol into something more potent. So we're halfway there to start with, and if toothless people in Appalachia can make some really good shine, (laughs) I think we got a shot. You know, We got a shot at it. In the woods. (laughs) In the woods. So Clay's father is... um, is a spirits guy, loves, you know, G&Ts and, yeah. and uh, bourbon and scotch and all that kind of good stuff. So he was pretty excited by that possibility. Yeah. Turns out it
3: was actually illegal at the time to own a distillery and a brewery in the state of Indiana. So Thanks, we, Indiana. Yeah. Yeah. So we, uh, we well, we're over... past
0: statute of limitations now, right? It's no, no. no we, well, yeah. we actually changed the law. Oh, so we, we've, in
3: our history, we've helped change like five different laws. Okay. Um, yeah. so most of them have to do with breweries' production abilities because when we started in '09, the, you, a brewery could produce up to twenty thousand barrels of beer and operate a tap room and self-distribute beer and do things like that. And then we we were getting up to fifteen thousand barrels. Our friends up at Three Floyds were close to twenty, and we realized that a law needed to be changed. So Omar, my dad, and, and Nick Floyd got together to lobby uh, to lobby uh, the Indiana legislature to raise the barrelage limit so that. That we could all continue to grow, um, which was successful. Um, and actually, everyone told us like you can't just change a law. And Omar doesn't really take no for an answer, and I don't think Nick does either. They're mm-hmm. like, well, we got to do it. Let's just <laughs> yeah. do it. So they registered as lobbyists and went to the legislature, <laughs> and went to the public policy committee, and started meeting different people and telling their story and being like, look, this is who we are. This is what we do. It drives tourism. It drives tax revenue. It, dri- it drives all of these various different things. It's great for Indiana. We've got these award-winning breweries. We only we just want to make more beer. Like what other mm-hmm. industry in the world tells you how much you can't like if you make ice cream you're not limited to making 30,000 gallons of ice cream right. yeah. um, I know that booze is regulated but like so we did comparisons with other states so they started lobbying for that and through that they realized that they both Nick had wanted to start a distillery as well and that as it was illegal so once we got our first state law change they started lobbying and it took two or three years but uh, but actually and then Ted Huber from Starlight uh, dis- Huber Winery and Starlight Distillery almost. and and Nick met him through that and he had a winery permit that allowed him to distill from grapes or fruit but he couldn't distill from grain and he wanted to make bourbon so basically like Nick Floyd, Omar Robinson and Ted Huber all got together and were like breweries and wineries working together to create the Artisan Distillers Bill uh, which took several years of lobbying and and getting it together to do it but I think in maybe 2015 uh, the bill was passed that created the Artisan Distillers Bill which is actually what led way to the, the actual craft distillers boom in indiana we now have quite a few distilleries overall so i mean it's the thing that paved way for west fork and for cardinal and for eighth day Day and for all these places so um we actually for years after that almost like we got the law change when are we starting a distillery and we're like whoa whoa we got our hands full over here we're still growing this brewery and like we don't really have the time or capacity to create a distillery and really split off on that and then that was actually kind of the time when we met justin moffitt and he was developing the midtown plaza up in Carmel and wanted his wife wanted him to talk to Sun King and bring Sun King to Carmel because she loved our beer and um mm-hmm.
1: yeah so that's incredible yeah so and Good he was Austrians, like hey would you start yeah. Sun
3: King in Carmel and we're like yeah, that sounds interesting. At first we were kind of no, no, no. And then we got to a point where it was real and he was showing us stuff. And it's like, he's like, you could do like what you're doing in Fishers. And Dave's like, we don't do the same thing twice. Like if we're going to do something, it needs to be different. So I don't want to do a brewery there, but we have been wanting to start a distillery and it's like, okay, yeah, great.
1: Even better. Yeah. Let's do yes. better. Let's go. Yeah. So. And
0: that Crumble joint is really cool.
3: Yeah. So. Thanks. It's a go, really cool yeah, spot. I'd probably yeah. probably
1: go there the most. There yeah. Right yeah. Yeah. Thanks.
3: We helped design it. Yeah, really we did the building and all. That was actually one of our cooler projects ever. That's awesome.
0: So. Yeah. Um, so, Clay, I know you said your dad uh, he was an entrepreneurial spirit. Mm-hmm. Up until your guys's three-hour or three-year conversation, had either of you had the thought of I'm going to have my own distillery or brewery one day? Not
2: well. Yeah. The first moment um, I helped mash in at uh, Circle V Brewing Company, and the brewer was also an owner in the space. I went damn, not only do I know what I want to do for the rest of my life, being in beer, um, I also want to own one of these things. This is pretty awesome. I've always been a person who thought that they would own their own business even when I was a little kid
3: and okay. through high school. So. Yeah. Growing up with a dad that was an entrepreneur, I knew I was going to work for myself and anybody that I ever worked for, I was always dissatisfied with some elements yeah. of things and <clears throat> Um, so I'd, I'd seen my dad run his own businesses and, and was very, very interested. In I knew I would start my own business one day. Honestly, again, I didn't know what I was going to do with my life until it found me or I found it, so it was really that finding brewing and beer. I'm, I'm a pragmatist, so it's kind of always taking and learning from the various different things and trying to, to find the path, and so it all kind of fell together. I knew it was something that I that wanted to do. And I like when I was fourteen, I started a skateboard shop because I I wanted I there was no skateboard shop where I grew up, and my parents were like, "Well, if you want to do that, you've got money in your college fund. You could borrow from your college fund and set up a shop." So I ran that for like two or three years until uh, girls seem more interesting than skateboarding. It's like, okay, time to close the skateboard yeah. shop. <laughs> Buy a car and chase some girls. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, priorities. So, yeah, yeah. Priorities. But I always knew I would want to own my own business and it, so, yeah, yeah, it was one of those things. It's like, yeah, it's, I got yeah. it. I got to do that. And it's a cool story you guys have. It's a very curvy way of getting
0: there. A lot of things that went on where people see entre- entrepreneurs, right, and it's like, oh, they had an idea, they did one or two things and it happened. It's mm-hmm. like It's not how it goes. Yeah. You you know,
3: it's very... There's there's an old honky tonk song uh, that's a a line that says, uh, I'm an overnight sensation after 20 years of dedication. And so it's one of those things where, you know, a lot of times people are like, oh, man. And, like, you know, again, people see us and they're like, oh, man, Sun King's everywhere. And, like, seems like that happened overnight. And it's like, oh, man, if you only knew. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Makes one of us. Right.
2: Uh Well, we, we subscribe to the mastermind theory, right, and... To be an expert in something, you have to spend ten thousand hours in doing it. So we had done that in our, you know, running our own, you know, breweries inside of a restaurant inside of
3: a chain, yep. and so we kind of figured all of that stuff. Out. Yep, and yeah, and I, I, I firmly believe that like. I was raised, the entrepreneur and my dad, I also was raised listening to motivational tapes. Um, and as a kid riding around on road trips with my dad, I hated it. But Got it. like all of that like stuck in my brain, um, just like the power of positive thinking and really trying to believe in yourself and set goals and achieve things. And um, the mastermind theory kind of is an element where, you know, everybody tells you like, anybody can do anything they want if they really put their minds to it and work hard, which is true to, to some limits. But you know, the idea that um, if you take stock of yourself, it's great to look at yourself and be like, Hey, here are my strengths. But the thing that nobody wants to do is take a look at your weaknesses. And if you mm-hmm. take a look your, at your weaknesses and then you surround yourself by people who complement those weaknesses, then you create a mastermind team. Mm-hmm. It's really great. And that's actually kind of the way we approach Sun King in that we had a couple of beer guys, uh, different interests in beer. Like when I left, brewing in my late 20s. I knew I didn't want to be 40 years old and still scrubbing mash tons and, and cleaning stuff and brewing and, and doing all that stuff. I knew I kind of wanted to be on to some other thing in my life, and I also knew that if I did another thing, I would want to do marketing and PR, so I kind of created my own evolution of a job for myself. Dave um, has loved beer since the moment he tasted it, and, and still, like he brews every Tuesday at Fishers at our small batch, and he distills in the afternoon with Meredith and Carmel and is still intimately connected every week with that side of things. and so So we both had different kind of interests, and as we grew as a company, it's one of those things. And when I was starting a brewery, a friend of mine was like, what are you starting a brewery for? I'm like, because I love to make beer. And he's like, don't start a brewery if you want to make beer for a living. And I laughed. I was like, Larry, what are you talking about? he's like, no. If you love making beer and you want to be a brewer for a living, go be a brewer somewhere. He's like, but inevitably, if you start your own brewery, there will come a time when you look at what's going on around and realize that you can pay somebody a lot less money to actually make the beer because you're talents are going to be needed to run a business do marketing do whatever else you're suited for and i was like and (laughs) a year or two later you're like oh yeah i can't really do this anymore i got all this other stuff hate it when people are right about shit yeah damn (laughs) it yeah uh
1: like earlier uh when we were talking you were saying how there's a lot of things that when you're working for someone else things that you didn't like that kind of drove some of your decision making Mm -hmm. in business is there anything specific that you didn't like or anything that Absolutely. That guided like... So many. How much time do you have? How long is this podcast? Yeah, as you were like forming the business plan and like the founding principles of Sun King, like anything that sticks out. Well,
2: this is the classic one that um, gave birth to our community development program. Clay, Mm. take it away.
3: So when I worked at Rock Bottom as a company, we were encouraged as the brewer and even the management team to work with local charitable organizations. We did a lot of stuff with the arts when I was at Rock Bottom and like find groups that were going on or somebody approached you about a fundraiser to like figure out a way maybe donate a keg to to an event um, and be a part of the community and support it and so after my four years at rock bottom a couple years off i resurfaced out at the ram and as folks realized i was there i had people from different arts organizations that are Nonprofits that I'd worked with and created relationships show up and be like, hey, you know, you used to support us over here for this. Would there be any way? So I'd ask Dave, and he's like, oh, I don't think that's <laughs> going to fly. It's like, we can ask. And, like, after the first ask, it's just like, oh, no. And basically it was like, hey, you know, there's this great event going on at benefits, so-and-so, and they were hoping that maybe we could uh, donate a keg. Absolutely not. Don't care. Don't yep. care. Yeah. So so the Ram was very much a company like, don't care. Don't care about Jeez. the community, don't care about anything. So I actually, in Indiana, Beer, alcohol laws are very unique, um, but the only way you can discount beer in Indiana is if you do it all day, there's no happy hour law. So that's why like five, or growl Fill Friday is a $6 growl Fill all day on Friday. So if you offer a special to any person at any time, you have to offer it to every person all day. Okay. Um, so there's no happy hours in Indiana that you can like have a happy hour, but it's just discounted food. You can discount beer to your employees if you're a brewery. So like our employees, if you work at Sun King, you get 50% off, uh, off of your beer and that's legal. Um, or if you're a a 501c3 or nonprofit organization you can discount beer to them so um, at the time at the RAM I didn't know all of that and I basically would have these groups and I would actually get a discount so a lot of times I would just buy a keg for half price and then give it to them Mm. and be like "All right, cool you're having this event I'll spend 70 bucks and I'll give you a keg just make sure it gets back to me so I just to support I would do that so that was one of those things that it's like okay well if we're going to be a brewery if we're going to be a brewery and a part of the community how do we support the community and that's really like it started with gift baskets to people for silent auctions and then as a small business people would come and they're like hey can you donate a keg and honestly we started out we needed every dime we could get and we realized the discount to nonprofits. and it's like what are you going to do with a keg and they're like, well, we're going to have an event we're going to charge people 20 bucks and then they can drink all they want and we're like that's a terrible idea <laughs> um, how about this like We sell kegs for X amount, we'll give you a third off the keg, which basically puts it to a price that covers our rent, our our overhead, our, our staffing, our raw materials and things, so you're supporting us by actually paying for the product, and instead of just letting people drink whatever for coming to the event, you go ahead and let them into the event for free because your event is fun. And then you sell them beer for $5 a pint and you'll buy this keg for $100. And at $5 a pint, you will sell it for $600. So you make $500 for everything. And they're like, Whoa. Who
0: said you weren't good at math? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. That's some top-notch <laughs> <you>. shit. Yeah. <laughs> so I told you, some days I'm on point, so thankfully this one was
3: recorded. Yeah, uh, but yeah, so we kind yeah. of started doing that, and we started working with these organizations and helping them figure out how to execute events, and then using the power of people's interest in Sun King and our marketing prowess to say, "Hey, we're here. We're doing this. We're supporting this, that, or the other thing." And so we would, uh, you know, we would do use discounted beer so that they could figure out how to raise funds. And uh, pre-pandemic, 2019 uh the beer that we donated discounted gift bags all the various things Uh, we started several years before that like hey we do a lot of this like what what what's the value of this and um so you know we we do these things and then people sell the beer for five dollars a pint and in 2019 we had over a million dollars worth of economic impact to local charitable organizations and then 2020 like turned it on its ear and we're like okay now we're still this summer it came back and we started doing more of these events and we have four refrigerated sprinters, three refrigerated trailers. And so we do beer logistics for a lot of community events, uh, a lot of like church beer fests, even like Catholic Mm -hmm. school beer fests, various different you know non-profit organizations we work a lot with second helpings and dress for success and trusted mentors and a lot of other just organizations that are around doing all the over job 500 training. yeah uh, over 500 very cool local organizations and anymore it's how can we help and figuring out ways to do it sometimes it's connecting people with other people that have resources that they need but being a good community steward was one of the things okay. that came out of those conversations how do you treat your employees was another one because we've worked for companies that just treat people like shit and mm. you know we treat our we treat our staff well we care about them we want them to be happy i mean to the point where like Dave would have lost his job if they knew he was opening his own brewery. He, they actually tried to fire him the day he gave them thirty days' notice um, hmm. because he was leaving. And uh, we've had staff like people are always afraid. And it's like, you know, what do you want to do? Like we just we're doing some reviews right now. I'm like, hey, what's your three to five year goal? And they're like, I don't know. I'm like it doesn't even have to have anything to do with Sun King. If it's a if it's a personal thing, our general manager in Fisher, she and her husband want to open their own bar uh, one day. And if that, and we're always like, hey if there's anything we can do to help you you want to learn we've helped people we've yeah. helped a guy on our team start his own brewery we've helped other local businesses start we helped uh, Circle um, Kombucha yeah. Yep Circle Kombucha Ash and Elm Cidery um, you know Andrea worked for us for a year while she was figuring out some things just because she needed to learn the business and was a friend but you know we really try to invest in our employees we've had employees that going through the, pun- going through the motions that weren't happy um, hmm. and then you know like Dave pointed it out it's like you're not happy here what is it that you want to do and then helping them find the thing that they want to do Yeah. so that they awesome. can go on and be happy and then we can find somebody else to do their job that's happy to do their job so love it yeah, yeah.
0: and that'll go so far like people will remember how you made them feel mm-hmm. like those yeah. people are
3: like hey you helped me figure it out I had a rough year yeah. and I was with you guys so you know that yeah, I goes, mean, speaks David always tells people when we're doing culture tours with our staff and talking to them it's like Sun King may not be your last stop it doesn't have to be like if you yeah. get here and you love it and you find something that you do and you want to stay here until you retire that's great but you know Particularly in our tap room, a lot of our people they're part time uh, because their day job is mundane or doesn't have a lot of like people interaction or is at a desk or on Zoom all day, and they work for mm-hmm. us part time two days a week because they just want to have interaction with people and it's a fun environment and they get respected. Yeah, and a beer discount. Yeah, a beer <laughs>
1: discount.
3: <laughs> not a bad. Let's fur. not forget that.
0: Yeah. Um, so Tim, I know you have a four o'clock client call. I want to make sure we get through everything that we want to get through. Uh, anything sorry, else? Sorry, we took a lot on that uh, story. No, it's thing, cool. Loved it. That was it. a that was deep dive. That's, that's what we wanted. Thought, thought it was awesome, deep. yeah. I, mean, I think we hit most of the okay. questions that you had, right? Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, we, 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 we always ask like the same one right. to end it. Oh. I just want to make sure if there's anything oh, yeah. else that you guys want to touch on beforehand. Tim, you have anything else? No,
1: I'm good
0: on that. I do have one more quick one before our last one. One I've kind of started... Uh, asking people as of late is how has being a business owner helped each of you outside of being a business owner?
3: Mm. Um, I, I would say in general, it's actually, it, it's just helped me be a better person. Mm-hmm. Like it's actually helped me be a better parent, I think. Okay, sweet. So my daughter's four years old and I I mean I'm 46 so I didn't have a child until I was like 42 if I had a kid in my 30s like when we started Sun King I would like lose my shit over anything like, yeah. <laughs> just like I couldn't handle anything but like having employees is actually one of the things that while it has a lot of challenges is something that I didn't realize I would love um, as a business owner because I'd never really employed anyone obviously and just like the things I'd done were just kind of me and uh, so actually running a business and dealing with employees like employees are like having children and again we treat our our children and our employees with respect and we want to try to encourage them to grow Uh, that's another sun king ism that we use a lot when you're green you grow and when you're ripe you rot Mm -hmm. so we want to really encourage people to continue to grow and develop and you know we offer all of our jobs externally but also internally so whenever we have an opportunity we want to make sure that everyone on staff knows because maybe you work in a tap room but you took a tour and think that you'd love to learn how to make beer so you might want to start over here in production or maybe you're in production and might want to actually get out into a customer facing role or go into sales so we want to we, we continue to grow our business in, in an organic manner and create opportunities because we want to give opportunities for those people um, but being a businessman has it's just leveled me out a lot and like especially I was telling Dave on the way up we were talking about it uh, earlier and it's like you know 2020 did a lot of things but like after getting through that last year and everything mm-hmm. that's gone on in the last year and a half we had a couple new supply chain kinks that hit today that are really big he's and being, it's being like,
2: very generous with huh? kinks yeah <laughs> it's, a, it's a major blow to our profitability uh-huh. structure so it's just one of those things where a giant uh, multinational conglomerate decided that small mm-hmm. businesses like ours can fuck off basically mm-hmm. and push us off into a corner, which will then increase, we'll have to buy through a, another supplier instead of direct from them, which will increase our can costs tremendously. I mean, probably almost doubling mm-hmm. our cost of goods in cans. So, but neither one of us are shook to the core about it yeah. I mean we're on the right yeah. side of the grass able to take yeah. nourishment it's like so. alright well yeah. we're
3: going to have to figure that one like literally I mean it's, you, it's everywhere right now and they finally started talking about inflation out there even though prices have been rising a yeah. lot for a long time yeah. and they're like no don't worry about inflation prices will stabilize and then all of a sudden it's like oh we're suffering from record inflation I'm like well if you weren't if you didn't notice that already, you just yeah. really had your head in the sand, yeah, for sure. But like uh, politicians, they're like, right. yeah, right, "Everything right. costs more, and logistics costs more, shipping costs more." The like, literally, everything that goes into beer costs more. I just saw an email before I got here from our distributor talking about a, a, an overall price increase in the market for beer. So you know, and it's it's going to happen everywhere because mm-hmm. because that is the case, but. Um, Yeah, so just things like that. It's like, okay, I just kind of take things much more in stride and Mm -hmm. and having been a business owner and, you know, there's a statistic, I think, like less than 5% of businesses make it to be 5 years old mm-hmm. let alone 10 years old so yeah. at you know 12 now and and going on i mean we work really hard to run a smart business and to take care of our people and to offer a good quality product and to not cut corners and to do things the right way and i mean those are things that i think we already subscribe to in our life and we try to have those roll through in our business but it all is very cyclical and like the values and the benefits that i get from being a business owner and the experience that I've had have helped shape the person that I am and it just kind of keeps rolling forward. It's awesome. I'll Love it. That.
0: Love it. Dave, how's it helped you outside of uh, being a business owner? Uh, not
2: really at all. It's okay. kind of uh, drag. Alright, good <laughs> talk. Last question. Uh, yeah. <laughs> spend a lot more time with me. Uh, yeah, I would say that um, first and foremost, there's a higher level of interconnective thinking that goes on when you start to see um, a bigger and bigger bigger and bigger universe as you kind of have to connect all of these things you know we have production we have sales we have marketing uh, we have HR we have accounting all of these things and then how all of the interplay with all of those things work and then you turn turn that around and you look through the rest of the world through this lens then you have a greater understanding of how the world works and why things are the way that they're built Mm. flawed yes because we're humans but also um, beautiful and exquisite in some ways too and then you bring that all the way back down to your singular relationships individual relationships and also with you know your kids i've got three of them they are snowflakes right each one is unique from the other and each one has a different level or you know motivational you know buttons to push and ways to explain for them to understand how the world works through through my eyes and through my wife's eyes and that sort of thing too so it's you know it's just yeah like okay. that yeah i
1: like that
0: great yeah um so our last question we always like to ask people dun, dun, dun. yeah right <laughs> <laughs> um when it's all said and done how do you each want to be remembered like how do you want people to remember dave colt clay robinson <clears throat> Yeah, we got that deep real quick.
2: Yeah. 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 I saw, I saw really? that
0: on the on the sheet, lurking,
2: and I was like, okay, think about that. What's that going to mean? Yeah, yeah, I yeah, did. I yeah.
3: didn't give it much thought. I was like, oh man. I mean, it depends on. Uh, what, I honestly
2: thought yeah. we were going to run out of time before yeah. we got to that one. So. I,
3: I, it's definitely a weird thing. I mean, I think that <laughs> there, there, are certainly, you know, I, I, I don't. I, I think that overall, what I've tried to bring to the world is fun. Um, so like even through Sun King, we try to bring our own personalities and our fun to it. And I'd like to think we created a really, a really fun, iconic brand that people relate to and that it brings joy to people's lives and, and they're happy about it. So um, you know, but depends on which point in time. I used to be a bit more of a hothead, so I'm sure that there's some people <laughs> sure. who haven't seen me in over a decade who'd be like, "Man, he's a real asshole." Yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but I don't know. I mean, I'm always trying to grow and change, and I'm a different person today than I was a year ago. And I think that if you're not, if you're not striving to grow, change, and be better, um, then, back to the green, you grow yeah. and ripe, you rock. Yeah, love so, it. Yeah. Um, you know, in general, I again, I yeah, I. I, I think that Sun King works because it's a genuine endeavor by both of us. It's something that we love and that we care about and we're here and we do it every day because we fucking love it and yeah. it's a lot of fun and we enjoy it. So, you know, I, 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 I guess really that we created something that was fun and that it was good and that it gave back to the world and, you know, at the end of the day... You know, some of our staff will talk to other people, and like you know, the stuff that we say to our people is true. And like, some people be like, "It's not bullshit." Like, we are who we say we are. It's the mm-hmm. stuff that we talk about with our staff is the people who we are. And you know, I, I guess I think I would hope that people would think that I'm genuine and that I gave it my best shot and uh, and created something that was that was fun and unique. And that uh, you know, at the end of the day, I never gave up because yeah, that's who I am.
0: Absolutely. I love that. Dave, how are people going to remember you? Three words.
2: Kind, caring, and fair. That's it. There you have it. Mic drop.
0: All right. Hey, we really appreciate you both of you being here, hanging with us. Uh, Let us have some of your time. Thanks for letting us share our
3: story and uh, being interested in hanging out. It was nice chatting with you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging. We'll talk to you next time. Sorry about the
3: GoPro.